This is the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast, a place for those who care about strengthening families and protecting children. You'll hear about the innovations, emerging trends, and success stories across child welfare, direct from those striving to make a difference. This is your place for new ideas and information to support your work to improve the lives of children, youth, and families. This is the second of a two-part conversation with members of Foster Care Alumni of America. We've been talking about the deeper impacts behind leveraging lived experience within child welfare policies and programs. This conversation continues as the group provides guidance for other foster care youth and alumni when considering sharing their deeply personal stories, including how to make sure advocates establish boundaries on sharing and how to address the emotional toll of being on display. You'll also hear some detailed thinking toward reforming our current foster care system. Welcome into the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast, everyone. Tom Oates here with you again. A reminder, you can subscribe to the Information Gateway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. We appreciate you joining us for the conversations around the perspectives, innovations, and insights surrounding child welfare and helping to improve outcomes for the children and families served by the nation's child welfare professionals. We're joined in this episode by members of Foster Care Alumni of America. April Curtis Rivera, FCAA's co-founder and board chair, Victor Sims and Latasha Pearson, both of whom served on FCAA's National Foster Care Youth and Alumni Policy Council, and Cody Bauman, a member of FCAA's Policy and Advocacy Committee. We picked the conversation back up with Victor Sims, addressing the differences between the terms lived experience, lived expertise, and alumni, and why it's so important. April will say, I had an argument, probably Latasha and Cody have seen it too, about people with the alumni word and everyone has their own opinion about it. And I've been very like intentional about like fighting that. Um, and it's because, yes, I, we have lived ex- expertise. We have uh, lived experience. Like that's no question. But to say alumni, it, it makes me feel like I'm not the only one that has, has went through it. There and that's go. why I personally have always associated with that word, um, yeah. even though I use lived expertise, lived experience, like I still use those other two words. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's to say like, just because I don't like, I use those words that I don't agree that I'm also in this category also. It's saying, you know, I recognize that I have people out, like outside of myself that I can tap into. Yeah, uh, I believe mm-hmm. when you, the difference between alumni and lived expertise and lived experience is, is having the association with others. Um, and being able to have the association with other people in regards to those conversations is why I'm stronger through my lived expertise. That's how I've like, most of my healing hasn't happened because of a therapist. It hasn't happened because of any right. of the providers. It's happened because I talked to like April, I talked to Cody, I talked to Latasha, I talked to Nicole, I talked to um, Sam, I talked to Scout. Like there's a whole list of people. When, when I'm dysregulated, the first thing I, I think about is not calling a therapist. It's, I got to call like my family. I've got to call the alumni. I've got to call those people that understand what I've been through and they can actually give me the answers of how they've made it through. And it may not be like an actual answer. It may just be Vic, you know, this is a tough time. It's okay not to be okay. There you um, go. Like right. eight months ago when the pandemic first started and uh, actually it's about a year ago. Um, <laughs> gosh, time's going by. <laughs> when the pandemic first started and George Floyd, I went through a huge, it's not okay moment. Um, when I'm an African-American guy. Um, and then I'm an African-American guy that's locked up in a room. Um, 
for days at a time because I've got to keep myself safe. Same thing that the system teaches us. Keep yourself safe. You know, we created the safety plan and our safety plan was put a mask on um, and, and, and lock yourself in rooms. Um, don't talk to people. Keep yourself safe from all other people because like the pandemic, our parents may like, like affect you for the rest of your life. And that's how I saw like the, the, the pandemic for at least the first two, three months. And then, you know, seeing an African-American get shot, I was sitting there. I'm like, how do I deal with this? And April will tell you, I probably caught her at that time every other week because I was just like, I, I, I just need to hear your voice. We don't, I don't have anything to say. You know, let's, let's talk to one of your kids. Let's just hear your kids in the background. I don't have anything they say. I just want to be on the line. Cody will tell you, I sat on the phone with them like days straight, just, hey, how you doing? Don't have anything to say. I might repeat the same thing I repeated for the last week about all I did was get on my computer, go on a Zoom call. <laughs> That's all I did all day. And, but at that, like, at that moment, like my biggest therapy has been using the alumni system. And I tell some of my closest friends um, that aren't in the alumni system, I, in the beginning of the pandemic, I needed, you know, the check-ins. I needed the, the random chats. And April will tell you, I, I reached out to the policy council like on numerous times, like, let's just get everybody together. Because at that, at that moment, I knew like I didn't need anything else in the world except to see people that had the same experiences that could have raw discussions about things. And, 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 and in those discussions, like there were a lot of things that were pulled out about how people felt like the foster care system prepared them for the, for the pandemic. And they were seeing those same um, trends and themes, whether it was, you know, going in a grocery store and seeing there was no food like on the shelves, reminded them of the shelves that were un, like un, that, that were empty at their own homes um, when they were growing up in care. And like different things like that, like was like open and raw, but like, where did we have that setting? Like, I, I I could not have explained those same feelings to a therapist saying, man, I just don't know why I don't feel okay with this. And all the therapists would have told me was, oh, it's because, you know, we're in a pandemic and now you're sitting in, <laughs> now you're by yourself right. compared to- So let's I want to, so I want to be able to say, Victor, make no mistake, um, you guys, many of the names that he mentioned are doctorates, are therapists, our social workers, <laughs> our clinicians. Yeah. So make no mistake yeah. that it wasn't just I'm reaching out to, you know, his family, but we're, they all have different variances of experience as well as right. professional degrees. He may not call it a therapy and we may not have said we're in a therapy <laughs> session, however, but we're there. And what I heard the most, and, and Tasha, you could, you could chime in as well, is he said, I needed the seat at the table versus an agency needing us to have a seat at the table. That's what made it a safe space. So if an organization is bringing people to the table, those with lived experience, understand the need. I needed a seat at the table. Right. Tasha, what you think? I, I definitely, I, I wish um, I had that because I totally um, understand where Victoria was coming from when all that stuff was happening. I Because I had been disconnected, it's been harder to reconnect, honestly, for me. Um, because I'm such in a different place than I was. And um, I don't immediately have a lot of people around me or had the, uh, I guess, years to connect with as many alumni as I wanted, I wish I had. Um, but I definitely think that having conversations that is us directed really does give us that sense of community and sense of people we can go to rather than just only coming together when an agency requires us to. So. I definitely think giving young people a choice to um, direct the conversations when they would like to have the conversations is very crucial as well. 
first off, I, w- I, w- I want to pause and thank you guys for, for A, choosing to do this together. Because just the, the, anybody who's listening can tell the relationship and the bond and the strength that you guys have. And, 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 and the list of others that Victor mentioned. A, a couple of lessons that, that, as you guys were talking, that resonated with me was the term being on display. And to be able to say, if you're an agency and you are working with alumni, that they are not always on display for you or for anyone. Just like you would have your own personal story, no matter who you are, you choose who you share and who you don't share with. And that's just everybody has their own circle of family or tight friends, those who are a little farther out and things you tell people at your job are different than things you tell your best friend over for who has been your best friend for 20 years and recognize that somebody's experiences are they're more than just there to be on display um, and in the way you were describing it I would say from what I hear alumni are people expertise and experience are things and alumni have those things but it's the gathering together of like here here's who we are I need my my alumni are peers right right it's this group yet I have expertise and experience and so I will use that when I choose to use that or when I'm you know compensated for it uh, uh so that's that's kind of like the lessons that at least I hear uh taking away um so for 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 those who are still in care or alumni who are out there, no matter where they are in their journey. Guys, I, w- I want you to start to, to be able to maybe bestow a bit of advice on those who may be considering or being asked to contribute their voice or, or their perspective. Uh, Latasha, if I could start with you, what would be your advice for these folks just to make sure that when they choose to share their voice, that their voice is heard and 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 leads to, and has some merit, and leads to something that, that drives change? I would definitely advise people to be open, um, be open to evaluating where they are prior to sharing or whenever they are offered opportunities to share. I think it's important to acknowledge where you are in your own personal journey, even if you are being presented opportunities, um, just to make sure that you, you keep yourself intact along the journey of advocacy. And then also just, to, like I said, to be open to reaching out um, to other peers when you have questions or you um, may not know what to do in working with organizations. And the adults that also are around in those organizations, be open to um, the advice that they try to bestow upon you um, if you're given the opportunity to meet a rare gem like April. Um, I definitely think she's an example of what a lot of organizations should have um, when it comes to connecting with young people to have someone there that cares about their personal development as well as their professional development. And so I just, because a lot of young people go through a lot of different things and we may come very guarded um, for some, I think just being open to feedback from adults that do show an interest in you and do show that they care about your journey as well as um, making sure that you also acknowledge where you are on the journey. is is going to be key for you to stay the course for years and years if it's something that you plan to do for a long time. That's my advice. You know, Tom, I, I'd like to, uh, I know Cody's on here and we've said his name a couple of times. 
Um, Cody's been in um, a different role in, in his transition. He was a council member and now he's supporting council members. I'd love to just hear from him what that has meant yes. for him. What, what, yes. how has, what changes did he have to make or did he make changes in showing up and being supportive? Because he went from being from us, you know, supporting him and now he's supporting other council members that are going to be hearing this, right? We actually have an open application of council members coming in and, and news shifts. So what does that mean for you, Cody? I know I'm improv too, Tom, but you got to love me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, so uh, it's it's been actually wonderful. So um, it goes back to that kind of that experience, right? Um, and when we talk about dual roles and everything like that, um, that's something that um, I really value, right? Of being able to understand all the perspective sides of it all. Because um, when you go from going into the system and then working with the system and then you go from local to state and then you go state to national there's like all these different um things to it right different barriers challenges um experiences um what i love is that this past year is being able to just support young people in a new way right not trying to elevate my voice not trying to because um i get i've had a lot of opportunities to do that right and this is something i love to do and um, i don't necessarily shy away from it but i do love the aspect of elevating others and being able to come at it as a, a different approach of just being there purely as a support because um, i want to see them grow because the challenges of growing into you know uh, that's why i love fcaa uh, because accepting people at all ages there's things that i never knew when i was 19 that i know now and there were things that I would never have been able to have been trained on to ever prepare me for that. And the knowledge that I bring is completely different than it used to. The first time I was on the council, I, I knew I didn't know what that arena was truly like. I didn't know how to really participate until a year or two into the actual pro, you know, pay like council, right? Like I was just like, you know, what is my role? Like, how do I step up? Because it was intimidating at first, you know, you you step on this board and there's people with bachelor's masters and they, they have all this worldwide knowledge. And I was like, they're all leaders in their own right from their own states. How can I compete with that? Right. Like, and then I was like, it's not a competition. It's just about elevating each other. Right. right. And so now that I'm in this new role, it's like, how can I continue to do the best work possible for the system? Not just what, you know, maybe it's best for me, but how can I elevate to, truly create that change that I want to see. Um, so it's definitely been a gift this past year to be able to work alongside the council and just other foster youth in general and, and being able to, you know, have opportunities like this to be able to extend the, you know, the arm out and try to, you know, bring them back to the table is, it has been amazing. So I, I've loved it. Um, it's been, it's definitely been something that it's helped me grow professionally and be able to see all the work that happens on the back end. That you don't see all the the writing and the editing and all the 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 like some really hardcore work that happens behind the scenes that I I as a a youth kind of took for advantage, you know. And I didn't truly appreciate that hard work that came in and um, the hours that you would log, you know, I, when everybody else is 
going to bed and I'm sending out emails at like one o'clock in the morning and <laughs> didn't get to appreciate that. So well, Cody Bauman, thank you for, uh, for, for, for joining in and, and, and April, you are welcome to play traffic cop at any time. Uh, I do want to continue a little bit about the advice, uh, for those, for those alumni, especially because, um, earlier in our conversation, you had mentioned just reliving or sharing someone's story can it can be traumatic. It, it can it can really. I mean, these are personal stories. These are stories that involve trauma. They involve loss. They involve questions. So when those other, let's say, youth or alumni are, are considering, you know, contributing their voice, what's the guidance you would give them on how to navigate their emotions that may come out of revisiting their experience? Um, <clears throat> I think Natasha said it. There isn't a one size fit all, but I think that the best thing is to do the work. And what I mean by doing the work, there's not, you're not going to find it in the books. You're going to do the work to heal, to understand your journey, to understand how you want to show up. How do you want to be present? And that's not always taught in a book. And you got to understand that your passion and your drive can be easily mistaken for someone who's just not ready to speak when in the wrong presence of people. So if you, someone doesn't appreciate your greatness for what you're bringing to the table, they may view it as, oh, that's a broken person or that's a that alumni is still you know, hurting. They're still dealing with it. Well, I have some news for all the young adults out there and for those that are my age and still going through it. Just equivalent to those who face trauma that did not touch the child welfare system. They had to do the work. It didn't just start and end with them. They had to do the work along the way. And so depending on how serious you want to be taken at the table or at in your workforce or wherever you're at, you got to understand that there's a part of you that it will always be refreshed. I just sat on a panel. So to hear Victor talk about, you know, the adoption and, and, and you as a privilege, I was just on a panel about adoption three days ago. And I had literally paid homage to my uncle dad and he passed away two days later. And so I understand what it means to show up. That doesn't mean that I'm suppressing the emotions or that I'm an emotional wreck, right? It means that as I have grown older, I've had to learn ways to be able to support myself in my healing and my family and practice those things. I'm not perfect at it. I, I, I call up just as you hear Victor or Cody or Latasha talk about, they call upon me. I equally support and call upon them to show them that I'm human. There, there may They think there's a super cape somewhere or a superwoman hero somewhere. <laughs> I don't have a, my, I'm still doing the work, but that doesn't mean I'm not capable of doing the job. And that's the part that people have to understand. There are true human beings out there doing the work and they're very capable of doing the job, but they got to understand that the healing comes from within. Moving yeah. away from the concept of, you know, you're broken, you're damaged. You're none of those things. You're just in process. You're in transition. And so you may not have the, the information. I remember the advocate I was at 1920 fighting for sibling bill of rights. It took 10 years to pass. And had I given up for it or, or just walked away from it, I, I don't know where, you know, how I would process it. But, you know, several gray hairs later, and yes, I have gray hairs, <laughs> it passed But it, it because I, I stood with it, right? And so understanding with our young leaders today, 
it's not going to change right away just because we're fighting for it or we're standing on the front lawn or we're advocating for it. Your advocacy may impact and will impact lifelong those that are going to continue to come into our child welfare system. We're just hoping to be at the back door to be able to put those pillars and the cement and then the foundation in place so that you don't have to go through what we went through. Do the work. Um, I think one reason that we all call upon April a lot is because of consistency. Um, she has consistently been like here for me longer than foster parents have, longer than providers have. I mean, we take 18 to 26, like that's eight years. And I, I remember my 24th birthday. I thought it was the greatest thing. I was like, oh my gosh, I've had a family for half my life. Um, and it's such a you know crazy thing to celebrate. But to me, like that was like the biggest milestone is just so I can say like, I've had a family for half my life. Um, and for April, like, like I'll say I got, when I got the Seeker Award last year, the first person I called was April, texted, I, I don't even know if I was allowed to even tell people yet, but I didn't care. Um, and so I didn't even tell my mom yet. Like I didn't, like all I did was tell April. Um, and it was because to me, that, that award for me, like wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for April. Um, like there was no way I would have been the person I am. I would have um, accomplished what I accomplished and, and, and one had the confidence. April will probably tell you, I was probably the quietest person the first time I went there. I, matter of fact, the first three times I was in person with anybody, I bought my computer, I bought my laptop, and every now and then I would just randomly say something. Um, and it was my way of saying, like, I don't know if I like you guys, I don't know if I trust you guys, but I do know the people on the other side of this email or on the other side of Facebook or whatever I, I decided I wanted to be on during all the council meetings or and all the, like, foster club meetings, whatever I was going through, like, I knew, like, that that was okay. And April told me once, she was like, I know you're doing that because it comforts you, um, but it's okay to close it, you know, even if it's just for 10 minutes. Um, and her one being able, like being willing to say like, hey, we're safe enough. And she actually sat beside me and not sitting beside me as a teacher, but just sitting beside me as I like went through that stressor of like overcoming, like it's okay to feel like comfortable in this room um, and working through that with me. Um, and then my first time flying out of state, like her being willing to like, cry and say, well, she didn't cry until like she figured out where I was sleeping and how I was going to get picked up and all that kind of stuff. Um, but when she had this whole strong front of, it's okay, you're going to make it to your graduation. Um, you don't have to yell at anybody. I'll handle it. Um, we've already got a flight. You're going to have to have this connection, connecting flight. You're going to go the opposite way before you go to Florida. I mean, she figured it all out. And mind you, I didn't call my mom. I just had them like, yeah, I'm not going to come trying to like pretend like I was calm. But with April, I was freaking out. Like, I was, no, no, this is my graduation. I only have one graduation. I just need something to go right in life. Um, and April was, it, it'll be handled. It'll be okay. Let's call your principal. Let's, let's let them know what's going on. Like, it's okay, Vic. Um, and, and she did. Um, and she allowed me to, one, be okay with stressing out. Um, and then, two, be okay to know, like, hey, we can handle this as a team. Um, and mind you, like another kid decided like they weren't going to fly out because I wasn't flying out. So like, it's okay. Like April didn't get mad. Okay. You want to support Vic? Good. Um, like, it was just like, it was probably the craziest first time experience leaving the state of Florida. Mind you, had no parents with me. Like all I had was like, the people I went with. Um, and I think if April one didn't create that safe space, I would have known who to call because mind you, April wasn't even my person to call. Like April was just a person I trusted to, to call. Um, and that, that, that like a complete difference. 
and it was that constant, consistent, you know, Vic, how are you showing up today? Um, is this a day you actually want to talk or is this a day, you know, you want to listen? It's okay to want to listen. Um, and being okay with that, you know, there were times when she was like, no, Vic, Vic probably needs to skip, which is why he's not saying anything. Don't, don't try to get it out of him. Um, and now I just won't shut up. And so, you know. <laughs> yes, we know. <laughs> but what I got, my nuggets from Victor and <laughs> Tom, <laughs> is that know, for young people and young adults out there is know your team or build your team. And that's okay. And that we're always building and we're adding and adding to our toolbox, but that it's, and when you're an agency working with young people and young adults and bringing back alumni, they understand that they have, they show up in different shapes, sizes and emotions, but they show up. And that's the part that we have to do is embrace when young adults and leaders come to the table, they're showing up. And oftentimes we have this high expectation that they're graduates or they're on honor roll or they're that one young adult that's made it out of North Carolina. Yay, we got them. And all we do is we keep pulling on them. So make sure you diversify who you're working with and that you also understand that you may be, until they build their only team, a part of their team. So you're their CEO. So you're their governing board. And what does that look like? And so how do you show up for them as being their board of directors? I'll repeat, April, some of your words, though you didn't say them. Victor said them on behalf of you. But for those for those alumni, know your story and own your story and how you how, how you build, how you do you, how you, you know, either build your team and and navigate your own emotions is is your way. It's the work that has to be involved is yours. But it's like you said, it's it's not going to be something exactly by the book, because as we're all, as you're all alumni, you have your expertise, you have your own experience, and that's the, and that's where you have to apply those those strengths. Ra- wrapping up here, um, the policy council ha- sets a series of priority areas for foster care reform. So I'd like to look forward. And I'm curious really as of now, because it is, it's the spring of 2021. We're still kind of in the grasp of the pandemic and just off the heels of the of the entire tumult of 2020. Um, what do you, all three of you, what do you view as the most important areas for reform looking forward? Ooh, all of them. No, um, <laughs> I think, I think part of it is, I will say this, I believe the day we will see the most amount of changes when we put people with lived expertise in those chairs. Um, We say that when we're talking about every other diversity group, diverse group. Um, I will say I've made a calling um, at the organization I work for to specifically like put lived expertise as um, a caveat of, of, of their of their experience um, outside of just educational experience, but also when we recruit, we talk about race, ethnicity, and all that kind of great stuff when we're looking at job descriptions because you know federally we have to do. It. Um, but to be truly you know informed and conform to where we need to be going, we have to um, one be okay with having having people who have a different kind of knowledge. Um, and that's, that's one thing, uh, when I first went into the field that I had to like continually preach, um, to program directors, like I probably should have been fired 15, 20 times at my first job, if I'm honest with you. Um, and it was just because I was very straightforward. Yes. I understand what the books say. I understand what this says, but like common sense says like the, the siblings need to be together. I don't care if there's three babies 
like underneath the age of five in that house because common sense says they need to be together. I like I will sign the safety plan that says I made the decision. If something happens in this home, I'm okay with it like being my fault. Like what I'm not okay with, with is separating the siblings. We say we want siblings together. Not not our fault. Mom had you know three kids underneath the age of five. So just because we make up this random policy and procedure, like th- we have to have common sense at some point. Um, and that's like, I did stuff like that. You know, kids turning 17, he's about to be 18. Grandma committed a crime 28 years ago. And we're not going to like place the child with her. No, that's crazy. Like when, when this child turns 18, he's going to go with grandma anyhow. And then he's going to age up. Like he's going he's to deny all services because we haven't told him we're okay with him being with family. Um, I think that's it. We say we're family focused. We create a system that says it's family focused, but we don't deliver family focused ways. Um, and, and, and that's straight, straightforward. Um, we want to say we tack to tackle um, congregate care. We want to tackle foster home. Well, if we're paying a, a group home, you know, $100, $200 a day, and this grandma who can get her kid, her grandkid, um, we're, we're afraid to pay rent and we want to see all these receipts on how we're going to pay rent. Well, let's be honest. We're paying rent for the group home. We're paying you know, food for the group home. We're paying the beds at the group home. We're paying every like lights at the group home. And we can't send $500 so grandma can get the beds and, and, and get caught up on her, on her light bill. Well, the problem isn't that we're not family focused. We're family focused whenever it's convenient. We're going to ask for the tax returns for grandma. <laughs> like, you know, I will tell you, like I, I work for um, an agency that, 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 um, brings kids in. Um, and nobody asks me, oh, Mr. Vic, let's see, you know, which, how much money you got, you guys currently have in your bank and see if like this, this rate for this kid is necessary. They say, okay, well, we'll give it to you. You got a bed for him. Great. And no other questions are asked. Um, and I think that's our problem is, I mean, our system of care, our foster parenting licensing system is, 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 is highly systemically racist. Um, we want a, a picket fence. We want a two-parent household, and we want income out the, the wazoo. Um, and then we'll put them in a kinship home, and we'll pay them half of what we pay a foster parent. And then when they're ready to discharge them or, or disrupt them, all of a sudden, we've got all these services that should have been in place all of a sudden. We can all of a sudden pay rent. We can all of a sudden pay light bills. Well, we should have supported in the beginning, because when a, when a family member comes to you and says they're, they're done, like, you're, you're almost at a, a losing battle. Like, we, we expect this moral compass to come for families. And the same thing should be happening within our, uh, I call them recruited <laughs> and um, sign on. So, you know, our recruited people are the ones we have to find. Our, those are the family finders. That's grandma, that's aunt, that's uncle. Like we're recruiting them. Um, when we're looking at foster parents, those are people who are like, you know, I'm signing on to this team, whether you guys want me on this team or not, like I'm qualified to be on this team. I'm a free agent. Um, and, 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 and being okay with um, investing where we really say we want to invest in. If we want to be family focused, we have to come up with creative, innovative ideas around it. It's cool to say we want to um, disband Title 40. It's cool to say that we want to uh, upend the foster care system. It's cool to do all of that. But if we're going to upend those systems, we have to have true, tangible ways to provide support. You know, when I read the uh, uh, hidden foster care, like the problem there is because like we're afraid to support people. So yes, We've got this hidden foster care system because, well, now we don't have to pay for this. Now we don't have to do this. Like, we reduce our costs. And then this family suffers. And they, we find out, like, it was a hidden foster care because, you know, a year later, grandma needs to do this. And, like, all of a sudden, we're up in arms because we don't want to support grandma. We want to say, grandma, you should, like, this is your grandchild. Like, you should be doing this because this is your grandchild. Not because, you know, like, you're providing a, a service to us. You're, like, it, it's a service to say, like, I need you to step up um, in this time of need. 
And that's why this foster care, our foster care system has become um, what I call a false temporary system. Um, it's temporary in the words of, we will say it's temporary, you only here for X amount of time, and then we will create all these barriers um, that, that, like, I would tell you when I was working at my last two agencies, I would continue to say, you're one of two things, you're barrier builders or you're barrier busters. You can't be both. Um, and I was always like, I've got, like I said, Tom, I got in a lot of trouble. Um, but, but all the trouble I got, like I got into, like ended up getting me awards for things in the long run, because all of a sudden, like, oh, you're a reunification hero. You got 84% reunification, but that's because I didn't follow like, like all the policies and procedures said to you. I said, like, this is common sense. I said, you know what? Like mom's been doing okay with this child for 15 years. Like, does it make sense to remove this child? You know, why are we moving for weed in Florida and in, in, in Seattle, Washington? We're not. Well, it's, it's the same maltreatment. Let's, like, let's, let's be real. And since I've been involved with child welfare, um, people have been trying to figure out what, what abuse, and I can't think of the exact word, but there's a specific terminology like everybody's been trying to get defined within child welfare. And everybody's like, yeah, that's a good point. And here we are eight years later, and nobody has still defined that word. And maybe April can tell you what word it was. I can't think of it on top of my head. Basically, like what levels, like abuse, um, and reaches that certain level before a child's removed and making criteria around it. Um, I can't think of it right now. Any other time I can think of it. Um, for me, oh, I, imminent I, risk. Sorry. Oh, yes, imminent risk. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I could figure it out. <laughs> um, I definitely would say that. Um, oh, man. What have I thought? Um, I definitely would say that moving forward to see reform, um, as Victor, Victor mentioned, that we definitely need more diversity in terms of those who are um, defining what changes should be made within the system as a whole. I think that the problem that I've seen, I've seen the same types of individuals in the department head seats since I started advocacy. And so a lot of times we see the same issues come up, but they never move forward or past a certain point because we bring young people to the table, but we bring them to the table to have a conversation and afterwards they go about business the way they want to do it or they handle it the way they want to do it anyway. Um, and so I think it's really important that moving forward for true reform, before we even talk about the different policies we would recommend, that we look at the structure of a lot of agencies, we look at um, nationally, who are the decision makers, who are the stakeholders that we are constantly putting in those positions and why hasn't there been um, more uh, of those with um, lived experience or expertise at those, at those positions at a high level um, so that they can truly bring in a diverse representation of what this system looks like. My colleagues, Tom, sounds like you have another topic for <laughs> for a podcast with my colleagues. <laughs> we, we have we have been known to take conversations and, and and maybe break them up to give to give our listeners a little bit of time to digest the first part, the second part. But uh, no, I'm curious, April, uh, to hear your thoughts about reform. So. I, I have the um, seat at the table, right? So nationally, I work with several equally excited, passionate alumni and allies that have been coming up with reforms um, and making recommendations. So I'm just going to highlight a few um, and then talk about some that are um, that are more close and personal for me, even in the work that I've been doing. 
that are not so much on the, the, the master list, but so for the family first prevention related, right, support legislation to continue the 100% match for prevention services beyond October 1, 2021. Most states are not in the position to benefit from the match because even if they've submitted approvable plans and claim to date back to the plan submission, they have not implemented the necessary infrastructure to capture the requirement. For example, Tennessee, child-specific prevention plans, et cetera. Or they have built capacity, they haven't built capacity for prevention services yet. There are some states now that are rushing to implement um, to be able to be to back claim, but the rush to implementation is being driven by money versus what the system needs. If the 100% reimbursement is extended, states will be able to implement more effectively and benefit from the financial reimbursement. Another reform opportunity is to create an expedited state plan for the approval process in regards to the the Omnibus <laughs> Act. <laughs> we're we're um, recent right now. Um, only 10 jurisdictions have been approved for the Title IV-E prevention program. So we don't have, we only have 10 jurisdictions, 10 states plans that have been approved for family first prevention. We need to release communications to states, reminding them as soon as they submit a state plan, they can automatically draw down Title IV-E funds at the 100% enhanced re reimbursement rate for administrative trainings and costs. We, used to, we need to use the Family First Funds for financial assistance for housing and, and using Stafford Act Authority. I know um, Ruthie and, and her crew, they're a great crew for housing advocates that come out of Ohio, Jamal and Lisa, that have been pushing the reform around housing and, and ensuring that the FYI vouchers, um, F, SYI vouchers get implemented and expedited. Right now, we're still waiting for the federal government to um, provide provisions around the money that was released in December that is was specifically targeted towards COVID and those that are alumni on how states can access and draw down those funds. Those monies, they, um, they finish in September. And so we're still, it's a clock that's ticking. For me, for mental health, I would like to see reform around what it means to not only provide support for those that are currently in the child welfare system, but those that have exited and experienced the child welfare system and that have shown an increased need. We, what, what, the, what the pandemic has taught us is that trauma and triggers have happened all across the United States and the world, right? So we're going to see this years to come. So in part of our plans for young people and families, we need to be pouring into our mental health services to be able to open the doors for someone like myself, I'll, I'll put myself out there, who may need support of how the COVID impacted me above and beyond what my employer can provide, or even if I'm not employed, what does that look like? And, and what type of monies should be out there where I can automatically draw down to receive those support services? We shouldn't put an age at a cap of receiving mental health services or support, especially for those that are um, continuing to relive trauma and dealing with it um, in times like the unprecedented times of the pandemic. It's a lot, but it's all relative, right? It's all things that you guys aren't the only people that have mentioned, you know, reforms like this. Uh, April, Finally, where can folks learn a little bit more uh, about Foster Care Alumni of America? So you can go to our website, um, www.fostercarealumniofamerica.org, or you can send me an email, april at fostercarealumni.org. Um, 
April at fostercarealumni.org. <laughs> and you can connect. You can find out if there is a chapter in your state. And if there isn't, you can work towards developing a chapter. We're going through some um, changes due to the pandemic and being able to reestablish chapters in the last year. And some of our leaders on here have taken up um, arms and being able to do so. You don't have to be a child welfare advocate or a child welfare expert to be to join a chapter. It really is like the AARP. You just have to have aged out of foster care or return like AARP. You just have to be a certain age for Foster Care Alumni of America. You just have to have touched the system, the child welfare system at any point in your life. Um, and prior to your 18th birthday and at 18 and older, we will, um, work with you. Some of our old, I have, we have members that are older than myself and they're welcomed <laughs> and supported. It, it comes with wisdom. Thank you for this time, Tom. And thank you to my colleagues, uh, Latasha, Victor, and Cody. Yeah. April Curtis Rivera, Victor Sims, Cody Bauman, Latasha Pearson. I, I cannot thank you guys enough for, for sharing the time together and letting us kind of uh, be a, a, an ear on the wall to listen to you guys and for your, for your dedication. And I thank you so much for being a part of us here in the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Oh, it's an honor. Thank you so much for the opportunity. You know, Tom, one would think that these may these conversations may not occur, you know, on the regular without us having this podcast or this webinar. You know, I want to tell you the truth. They happen all the time amongst ourselves. We are constantly having these conversations behind closed doors at our own tables. And so we invite people to pull up a seat, sit at our table, come have a conversation with us, come break um, break bread with us. Well, thanks so much for, for pulling up at least a chair for us here on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Thank you. No, thank you, Tom. You can tell that the four of them have, in a sense, grown up around each other over the past few years. In fact, when we finished recording, the conversation continued for at least another 30 minutes. It was important for each of them to express the need for alumni to be able to establish some comfort, to be able to successfully advocate. And that's a charge for the agencies working with youth and alumni. See them for everything that they are. And if you recall from part one, the concept of never aging out of advocacy is important here. And also for agencies to recognize what asking someone to share their story entails emotionally. If you head on over to childwelfare.gov and visit this episode's webpage, just search podcasts, we'll have links to FCAA and other youth advocacy organizations, along with Information Gateway's National Foster Care Month page and other resources for youth and those working with youth. Of course, if you have informational needs surrounding all aspects of child welfare, uh, contact information, information about laws and policies, reports, tools for families, go ahead and visit Child Welfare Information Gateway at childwelfare.gov or reach out to our talented information support services team at info at childwelfare.gov. For now, thanks again for listening to the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. I'm Tom Oates. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Child Welfare Information Gateway is available at childwelfare.gov and is a service of the Children's Bureau, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Administration for Children and Families. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Information Gateway or the Children's Bureau.